Welcome to the Under the Gaslit Lamp podcast, Gathering the Lamp. I'm Regan, and I'm joined today by Mark. Hello, everybody. I'm Mark. You can follow me at Twitter at VelamarkPGH. Hope everybody's well. And uh, we're not alone today. We've got uh, Cole, who is a Talk Aston Villa on both YouTube and Twitter. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, for sure. I uh, hope everyone's well. Um, yeah, I'm just... Uh, Cole, I uh, used to run a YouTube uh, account called Talk Asta Villa, mainly just on Twitter now. So if you want to give that a follow, it's simply just Talk Asta Villa. Pretty simple. All right, let's uh, get straight into it then. Um, it's been it's been a pretty impressive time recently uh, to be an Aston Villa fan. Um, obviously, we beat we beat the Blues, we beat uh, Nottingham Forest quite convincingly, and then uh, at home we beat Middlesbrough three 0 uh, it's a strong performance after after a pretty impressive week. Yeah, it's been uh it's been pretty uh nuts. Uh, you keep talking, everyone just keeps talking about these you know four games on the bounce, four games on the bounce. But I I don't know about anybody else. I'm terrified that the international break has come when it has. Yeah, I I feel that, but I think at the same time it's it's good to be able to have have a break. Yeah, the break's good. It just it just feels like it's so villa. It seems like every like it, it's happened the past couple of seasons. It feels like we go on this little bit of tear and then uh, then we just get a break. I don't know. They just the international breaks always just scare me. I don't know why. I, it, there's no rhyme or reason. They just scare me. Well, I think I think realistically the the international break is has come has come a good time for certain players. Um, you know, maybe not so much for John McGinn. Maybe not so much for the likes of Tammy Abraham if he ends up playing, but for the likes of Neil Taylor, who seems quite quite a uh, can't think of the word um, consistency player. So he likes to be in in the squad over a prolonged period of time. Um, so you know it, the fact that he's playing football over this time and hasn't been left out of the Wales squad by Ryan Giggs. He's uh he's in fact playing a friendly right as we record this against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, you know, I think it's good for players like him, but not necessarily good for John McGinn, who you know came back from from a uh, two game suspension and has set the league on fire. Yeah, I would just I would put him in a closet on a treadmill and just walk away. I would just have him running and running and running and running, and that would be it. Um, but yeah, thirteen shots from open play against Middlesbrough, um, two attempts from a set piece. Three from a from a counter attack. Um, it's it's impressive to have scored six goals against one of the best defenses in the English leagues. No, it was a, a fantastic win. Um, it's been a kind of a funny turnaround if you think about all of it, like all of its in entirety. It all technically started from a one 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 draw with Stoke, which if you take anything with that, you wouldn't have thought that was a positive at all. It's been absolutely brilliant. And I think the best thing about this run in particular is we're scoring by committee. We're not so much relying on just Tammy to knock in all the goals. And I think, honestly, we have the best midfield in the in the league on its day. Yeah, I think I, I, I'd agree with that anyway. But I think, like, we've got um, almost like an embarrassment of riches. Um, you know, we, we've got the best midfield on its day, but, like, I'd say, like, you know, that, that would be uh, Horahan, McGinn and Grealish. But then we've got the likes of Glenn Whelan, who can step into it. Um, and, you know, at times, Berke Bjornsson, even though he hasn't really featured much under Dean Smith. Yeah, I think, um, you know, just the squad depth in the midfield, 
is absolutely crazy, especially if you look at championship level. There's a lot of other teams in this league that are actually struggling with injuries and stuff because they don't have any, you know, a wealth of depth at midfield. Um, I, I think the the whole team's just playing incredibly well, and I, I think a lot of the uh, the un- unmentionables a couple months ago. You talk about these players; nobody even wanted on the pitch. You talk about a Neil Taylor, uh, you know, Ahmed El Mohamedi. I mean, he's playing insane. You know, it kind of went under the radar a little bit. He had 84 touches in the Burrow game. The only other player, you know, right under him was John McGinney at 80. Um, yeah, that, that's that's a crazy amount of touches on the ball. I think Elmo deserves a little bit more respect than he's getting, and I'm just yeah, glad I mean, he's really like, stepping up he's, his form. He's impressed since uh, Hutton got injured and Dean Smith recalled him back into the side. Because I mean, he he had a run of like two or three games when I think Hutton was suspended, and he he wasn't performing to the best of his ability. He was give, I think he gave away a penalty. Um, just didn't look too sharp at right back. But um, yeah, he, he's impressed since his return to the side. Um, interestingly, Middlesbrough focused forty-one percent of their attacks down the left-hand side, um, which meant that obviously Elmo had to put a lot of effort into his pressing and defending. And uh, Mings and, and Horse had him covered pretty well if there was uh, any crosses played into the box as well. Oh, I totally agree with that. Like I, uh, I had some stats here from the other day. Like we just played them off the park. We looked completely the better side. Um, if I go into shots, we had 18 compared to their four. We had five on target, and they only had one. And I think their first one might have come, what, halfway through the first half? So if you look at it that way, it, for a game that I think a lot of people were more nervous than any other game we played in the last five matches, it was almost a piece of cake. Yeah, I I, I agree it was a lot easier than, than I'd expected. You know, I went into that game, I'll go into most Villa games nervous, but like, I was particularly nervous for that game because there was obviously so much riding on it. Um, but you know, you know, there there were some some pretty odd tactical decisions by uh, Tony Pulis throughout the game, um, namely so uh, substituting Down in on thirty two minutes into the game. And as far as anyone is aware, it, it wasn't a, an injury that caused the substitution. It was purely tactical. Yeah, I, I don't know about Cole's perspective on this, but the uh, the Downing substitution. Was at the thirty fourth minute or something like that. That's that's the kind of stuff coaches do when they're on full tilt. When they know that there's their jobs probably you know heating up a little bit. You know they're sitting in a little bit of a hot seat. Um, I don't know much about Burrow's season as a whole. I've only looked at their recent form. They're in a pretty bad run of form over the past five or six games. Uh, I don't. Know, it's it's crazy. They're so high up on the table, but they they haven't scored three or more goals since February second, and that was, that was against West Brom. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a crazy situation how they're so high up on the table fighting for a playoff spot right now. Yeah. I agree with that too. Um, if I step in there for a second, it's, it, it's funny how you look at it because not many managers out there that I can think of at the top of, like on top of my mind, that would actually sub someone on and off on that, like within such a short span of time, it's almost admitting that they set their team up wrong and they made a mistake I don't know how many managers would actually admit that and it's kind of funny Pulis did that considering what he said after the match yeah I mean like there's there's always the possibility that Pulis has sat there and gone down and used to play for Villa you know this this might be one to kind of unnerve unnerve the 12th man kind of thing um but you know it, it didn't it didn't do that in the slightest and it it is it is one of those like decisions that really doesn't make too much sense um 
it, it might be a sign that Pulis is on his last legs at Borough, um, but at the same time, it, it's it's a good thing that you know a manager managers being forced into these kind of changes against us, um, and hopefully, you know, we can force managers into having to make these changes in the last run of games because if that's the case, then you know the playoffs are all but secured. Yeah, what was his what was his quote on the uh, after the game? Something about uh, they scored three non-league goals against us. Or something of the like. He, I think he used the phrase "non-league goals," and I don't know. That's that sub that early. I, I I've seen some some managers do that, and they're usually out the door in the next couple of weeks, if not you know a month or so. That's gonna be. It's got to be tough for Borough supporters. Let's face it. I mean, you know, get they got to the playoffs last year. You know, we got past them, but I don't I don't know if that's that's the way they're gonna play, and he's gonna keep making tactical decisions like that. They they might start slipping pretty pretty faster. I think he's um, he he plays a similar kind of football to to Steve Bruce, anyway. But I think he he's like, I mean, like look at look at some of Steve Bruce's uh, tactical decisions last season. You know, we we were losing to Bolton, so he brings on three strikers. We've got four strikers on the pitch at one time. Yeah, I'll I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> never, he'll, he'll never get forgiven for that. It's just tough, like in that Borough team, like they have good players in that squad. They have Britta Sabalonga. He's, I think he's great. I just think he's in the wrong team at the wrong time, the wrong manager. He's he's big. He can run into the run into the defense. He's strong on the ball. His passing's a little lackluster. You're not going to get much there off of him. But he was on an island. Like there were times where I was watching the game, and you, you know, you don't see him in the picture, but it could have been. Tyron Mings and Britta Somalanga playing a game of solitaire. You know, that's how pinned they were back. That's how pinned that Burrow was, you know, in their own half. It's just, that's crazy that a player of that quality is still on that team. It's just a weird signing if you look at it, because when he was at Forest, and obviously the turmoil there at that point was unreal, but it was a much more attacking, open minded kind of forward play. And with someone who was pacier when they're younger. He is injury prone. You think you would, it just doesn't fit his system. I guess what I'm trying to say, you almost, you must want someone like a Peter Crouch who you can ping it up to and hold it up and then build off that. But just watching even that game, they just, they're playing with personnel that don't even fit his style. And although his style isn't usually typically too appealing to watch, it is effective on its day. And clearly they have something to uh, change around there at Borough. You um you mentioned pinging it to the big man, and that's something I wanted to to pick up on. Uh, like under under Dean Smith initially, we we really didn't see many uh long balls played. Um, you know it was very much keep the ball on the floor, uh, one or two touch passing, high pressing. Um, but since Tyrone Mings has come into the into the fray, he's been playing quite a few uh, long balls up to Tammy or Jack, and I think. That that's giving us like a new dynamic to our play. You know, we're we're still doing the high pressing, we're still doing the the short quick passing, but you know, if Tyrone Ming sees someone making a run or someone in a position where they can hold the ball up for McGinn or Grealish or Horahan or we even Whelan to run onto, you know, it's it's added a second dynamic to how we play. And you know, I think I think something I think it's something like sixty percent of our attacks come from down the middle. Um, and you know, if Mings is pinging a ball straight down the middle of the pitch to Abraham. Whether he's going to turn his man and be on goal, or he's going to hold it up for someone else to come in, you know, it's it's given us another layer um, that we can surprise teams with. Yeah, Mings looked incredible as far as his, his ball movement against Burrow. Um, a little bit for the for the stat driven people, but uh, he attempted twenty one long balls forward, 
in the game. Uh, nine of them ended up leading the possession for Villa. And that's that's something where, yeah, Burrow didn't look great on the day by any means. But, I mean, if, if we're just going to let Tyron Mings just spray balls all over the pitch, I'm all for it. Uh, some people think that that's a little bit of a, you know, huck it, chuck it kind of, you know, uh, offensive tactical mentality. Uh, for me, if, if Tyron Mings and, and Courtney Horse is doing his his fair share of pinging balls forward, too, uh, that if that's something that works and, you know, they can get it up to Tammy and, you know, like like Regan said, hold up the ball, get it to McGinn, get it to the flanks. I don't I, I really don't think that there's going to be a lot of teams that can prepare for that. They, they may know it's happening, but I mean, on a physical nature, just the phys- physicality of it all dealing with that all games. I mean, 21 times attempted long balls. That's that's a lot of that's, that's a lot of getting up in the air and trying to get a ball down. So, that, you know, that wears and tears on the team after a while. I, I just think if, if that's the way that Dean Smith wants to do it, playing out of the back, then that's that's definitely the way forward for us. I completely agree. It's kind of a multi-dimensional thing. If you think about it, when he first came in, it was a lot of, obviously, we still do a lot of build-up plays, short, quick passing, high tempo. Um, but it's almost like we've added that, plus, obviously, a lot under Bruce was pinging it crosses a lot of that kind of stuff which isn't obviously too appealing but if you can do a bit of everything which obviously someone like Mings can do and you mentioned um, Haas as well it's something I'll welcome and by golly I hope we get promoted now because I would love to see Mings feature next year if we could sign him if we do go up (laughs) and an interesting point to make as well is you know we are playing these kind of long balls but we're still coming away from the game with over 60% possession you know like if under under Bruce, like it was very unlikely that we'd we'd uh, leave a game with higher than fifty percent possession, and you know that's the that's the same for managers like Pulis or Allardyce or you know any of those kind of old boy managers that you know they're they're pinging balls but they're losing them straight away and this it's obviously something that they've been working on at the training ground, but uh, let's digress. Let's go firstly to the El Ghazi impact. Um, he took his goal well. He um, you know he. He's one of those players that I'm not too sure about. He obviously got the first goal, but he was the the second worst rated player um, on the pitch, bar Andre Green and the subs, who obviously didn't get to play the amount of time that uh, other players did. But you know what? What can El Ghazi do to improve? Um, you know, our, our wings look sig- significantly poorer than last season. Obviously, we had Doma scoring over over fourteen goals, and we had Snodgrass out on the right. So, w- what can Al Ghazi do to improve, and you know, how can our wings improve? Uh, for for me, with Al Ghazi, I, I think it's the one flaw that he has is just his consistency, and it, it's easy to say it's just consistency. But um, if he would just be able to just just a little bit more of it and a little bit, I mean, he he comes in and out of games sometimes. But on his day when he shows up, he shows up. He usually shows up big. Now whether that's you know you know a little bit of skill on the ball, you know spraying out crosses, you know into the box, you know he he does a pretty decent job holding up play on the wings too, especially like on a counter that might break down. I noticed that about his game. It's you know it's something. It's definitely a positive for him. I don't think we've even seen the best he can be, even when he is on his day. Um, I don't know if that's due to uh, the championship being a physical league or not. Um, he, he's a pretty athletic guy, so maybe not. that's not as much of the case. Um, you know, as far as the Warriors last season, you know, Adoma hit form that he never has and probably never will ever again. Um, you know, so that, that's hard to emulate. And then Snodgrass, he, he looked like he was born and raised in Aston. You know, when he when he was on loan for us, he was playing with his heart. He was playing for the badge and the shirt. 
I, I just think that it's a hard juxtaposition of the two to, you know, think last year the wings to now. I mean, getting better is just, I, you know, I think Dean Smith is pretty much, you know, solid on El Ghazi, you know, being, being a starting wing going forward. As far as them getting better, it's, I think it's really just putting your nose to the grindstone and just keeping at it. Uh, I think he will get better. I just think he's one of those players. He has a, he has a lot to offer in a lot of different areas of the pitch, but yeah, he, he's got to do something about his consistency. Oh, I agree too. And it's this is this could be the wildest comparison I ever have, and it's different positions. But he kind of gives off the sense of like how Ozil does. It doesn't even look like he's putting effort in, but he does make an impact. Maybe not all the time, but it does come up, and it does come up big when needed. Um, that's how I kind of feel about him. You're not going to really, you're going to call him lazy and whatever, but it does end up coming up that he comes up clutched in certain situations. Um, whether that kind of adjusts itself over time, he matures more in the future. Um, I'd be interested to know, would you guys sign him next season? I think is the deal is around 5 million, if so. Um, see, it's one of those things like, Ask me the question at the end of the season. Um, you know, if he comes in in these last eight games and you know impresses, then I'd say yeah. But it, it's it's another case of do do we take a a risk and risk five six million that could be you know could be used on two or three players if we don't go up. Um, True. If if we do go up, uh, I would probably sign him. Um, I think he'd enjoy the Premier League a bit more than the Championship. It's a little less physical, but. I think it's all a, all a case of whether we do go up or not. Yeah, I think for me, it, it's, it really is an end-of-the-season question. Um, in the Prem, I, I think that, you know, if we do go up and have the, the cash to, you know, throw around a little bit more than we have in the past couple of seasons now, uh, I, I think it'd be worth the, the $5 million. If that's what it is, if it's $5 million, I, I think that's worth it. If we're still in the championship, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we need to be spending that kind of money. Um, yeah, like I said, he's, he, he, on his day, he's a really, really good, good player. He, he does come in and out of, out of games, but yeah, I don't think that $5 million price tag is really, really something we need to be looking at unless we go up. Yeah. So the second goal came from John McGinn. Um, you know, it, it was a pretty complete performance from McGinn. Uh, you know, it was his third goal in two games. He, he boasted a 90% pass success rate. I think there's just something about the way that he plays, you know. Um, I, I I actually really admire the way that he uses his, his behind to, to kind of get out of challenges and hold on to the ball. Um, you know, he's he's got a diminutive stature and he's using his body to his advantage to stop bigger players from, from basically flooring him or obviously tackling him. Um, but, you know, do you think... Do you think McGinn's a long-term kind of player for Villa, or is he is he going to be poached within a season or two? Because the way he's playing, I can see him, you know, playing at the highest level if he if we don't go up soon. I th- I think there's something to say about John McGinn just in his body language on the pitch and afterwards and on social media videos and stuff like that. He looks like he's absolutely enjoying his time at Villa, and I don't I don't know what it is. I don't know the explanation. It, it it's look literally looking at a happy person. Of course, he's a paid professional footballer and he's you know I'm sure he's not making you know a pittance in, in any type of way but he just looks happy I, I I really do think McGinn stays for Villa for for many years I'm not going to say he's going to retire here but I, I think he knows there's something going on here I think he knows that there's a there's a project and there's a vision and that, you know there's some good players around he obviously gets along great with Jack they seem like their best mates 
Uh, I, I definitely, you know, think that he sticks around uh, on the point of, you know, his uh, toughness on the ball. I mean, he's he's doing things that, you know, you, you see athletes in other sports do, you know, when they're pressured on, you know, on the on the puck, you know, in ice hockey or on the ball in, in football. You know, he's using his hips, he's using his strength to roll off and wiggle his way out of trouble. And that's, you know, it, it seems like it's a, you know, something that's just a given like you, you should just always be able to do that that's actually really difficult to have the vision and have the awareness of who's coming at you from what direction and we'll get your way out of it I, I think that's something that Aston Villa has needed for a long time the hunger to be able to move forward to get fouled you know keep going try to create something John McGinn's an absolute monster right now I couldn't agree more and when you look at it it's what three goals and one or two assists in the matter of like seven days He's on absolute form. He's, in my opinion, probably the best midfielder we've bought in the last at least five years, and that's not really saying much um, considering how it's went the last five years. But we've wasted so many players in this position within the last probably five to seven years, um, whether it be Idrissa Gay, um, El Mohamedi, whoever you want to really say. There's been a few in there that we thought would have done well, and for, what, 2.5 million pounds or so that we purchased them for, absolute steal. The first goal when he set up Algazi, brilliant through ball, and this one just driving forward. Him and Grealish driving forward is a scary thing to think about for defenses, and it just opens so much more up going forward for other players. Hey, uh, Cole, do you think that the uh, two-game suspension he had from the yellow cards, do you you think that spurred him on? Like The rest was obviously probably good for him. Do you think he maybe thought that, oh, how am I going to get back into this team, and that's why we're seeing him over the past couple games be pretty, pretty amazing? Yes and no. Um, it's kind of tough to say because I think when he was playing under Bruce, it was kind of questionable. Um, obviously, Bruce is much more of a physical manager and he likes that side of the game. So I thought we saw more of that under Bruce from him. Um, but as we see under attacking manager like Dean Smith, it's been brilliant. I think it maybe helped him in the sense of uh, rest, understanding his role, um, just maybe even maturing. It's He's learning a lesson, obviously, from being suspended. Um, and at really ever since then, he's been a lot more careful in that sense, and he's just been banging them in, so long may it continue. I, I fully agree. Um, the third goal came from Albert Adoma. He, uh, he pounced on a spilled shot from Randolph after Keenan Davis took a, a pretty decent shot from outside the area. Um for one, it was it was good to see Keenan Davis back on the pitch, um, and I th- I think he he performed relatively well. You know, he looked strong, he looked lean, he looked like he lost a bit of weight, um, and th- there's something I've always admired about Keenan Davis, even though he's not really you know come up trumps for Villa, um, you know when he had that run of games at the start of last season, even though he wasn't really scoring, there's something about the shots that he takes that you know he's almost like a a, a complete forward, if you will. Um, he, he just needs to work on his finishing. Um, but, you know, Ad- Adoma was there. Adoma slotted the, the ball home um, and didn't celebrate, which I thought was perhaps because I think I think he's out of contract at the end of the season. Um, and, you know, the last however many windows, he's always linked with a move back to Borough. Um, so it was almost for me like, I'm not going to celebrate because otherwise I'm not going to be accepted back at the Riverside. Yeah, I heard he's pretty pretty revered still with the with the Middlesbrough supporters. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I I do believe you're correct in saying he's up on contract. Um, 
you know, at the end of the season here. I, yeah, I don't know. He's just not trying to write off any kind of return to the Riverside, and maybe he just wants to, you know, I, I mean, I don't think he's, looking back on it, I don't think he's ever celebrated any goal. I know he had a, he had one last year against Burrow. I don't think he, I think he put, actually put his hands up for that one and just kind of calmly walked away after he scored. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's kind of a weird one. It, but you were right about the, the Keenan Davis, you know, and the point of Keenan Davis. I'm, I'm a huge fan of him. I, I really, really like his style of players, but I, I'm old school. I like the hold-up play. I like, you know, getting other people involved on the ball. And like, like you said, he'll have a shot from anywhere. You know, he, he has such belief in himself, and he does look cut. He looks a little like he's put on, you know, muscle mass, and you know, but, you know, a little bit more trim. Uh, you know, he's got that reoccurring, you know, abdomen injury, whatever it may be. Uh, hopefully he's able to work through that. I, I, I do think he could he could have a part to play for Aston Villa for a couple of seasons here, but it's really going to depend on him and if it, how he's going to push himself going forward. I agree. And honestly, it's nice to just know he's alive because I can't even remember the last yeah. time uh, he featured. So um, it's certainly been a while. I still think he's um, – it's kind of interesting because if we do stay down – um, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year because depending on Scott Hogan, he could be our main striker. And I still think he works better uh, working off someone, him being the hold-up uh, style of striker and someone with a bit more maybe pace and uh, prowess in the box. But uh, no, it was a good effort. It's nice to see someone that's not afraid of taking shots from a few different places. And you know what? Fair play to Albert. You got a goal. You haven't really featured much this year. I think it's the second of the season. That might do some something well for his confidence for the rest of the year being an impact sub. And you know what? Even if he nicks one or two more, it, it's all beneficial to us. I um I agree with the, the statement you made about uh, Davis working alongside someone. And we we wrote an article I think last summer. Um, I think it was it was during the whole money crisis. You know, we thought we were going to be losing our best players. We thought we were going to be playing youth players. And we said that uh, Keenan Davis and Rashawn Hepburn-Murphy would work well together as kind of a, a big man-little man partnership. Um, and, you know, if, if, we do, if we do stay down, um, you know, we're not going to be out there spending, spending big bucks. You know, we're not going to get the likes of Tammy Abraham or a like-for-like player back on loan. We'll go for cheap players, or we'll use what we've got. So we we could very much see um, Hepburn, Murphy, and Davis getting a lot more game time next season if we do stay in the championship. Yeah, I, w- I wouldn't be opposed to that at all. I I think that you know uh, Davis would play well with a smaller, maybe more agile-minded forward. I I just I, there's something about him. I don't know. It's 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 hard to explain. It's kind of it's a little bit hard to put in the words. He just has. You know this air bottom that you know it's belief. He 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 works hard. You know, and it's, it's I think it's unfortunate for him, you know, but fortunate for the Villa that we have Tammy Abraham this season to come down and put up twenty plus goals. And you know, in, in the event that we're still down and Tammy you know returns back to Chelsea or whatever happens with that whole mess, I I do think he is in contention to be, you know, getting really 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 positive minutes for Villa next season if we do stay in the championship. I agree and. Uh... It's, I don't know how I feel about it because I don't want to get too off topic about him. But even if we do stay down, isn't it kind of almost weirdly exciting to see like maybe we'll go after a few unknowns and find some hidden gems? I don't know. I'm always a sucker for that. Um, maybe I'm ho- hoping we uh, pull like a Norwich kind of thing and find the next Pookie or something like that. But uh, I don't know. Something like, about that just excites me. It's it's very much a kind of football manager vibe. You know, like you're, yeah. you're spending... 
you know, out, out, countless hours, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning, looking for the next best, uh, I don't know, Bosnian striker or something. And, you know, we've got scouts for a reason. And, you know, if we do stay down, I, th- I have, I'm, you know, I'm full of faith that, that we'll bring in someone of a decent calibre. You know, they might not set the league on fire in their first season, but I'm, I'm fully sure that, uh, that there's a plan either way. Let's cover players that had an impact without scoring goals. Glenn Whelan uh, had an absolute monster of a performance. Um, I think most of the game he didn't really let Borough out of their own half. And the same with Tyrone Mings. You know, he was quality on the ball. He was completing all these turns that we've seen in the games that that he's played in. You know, both both Mings and uh, Horse looked comfortable on the ball. But you know, I think Whelan and Mings both had probably one of the best games of their careers. <laughs> So it's a long stretch to say for Mings because we haven't really seen him play for for Ipswich or uh, Bournemouth. But you know both both players were were absolutely on the top of their game. Oh, Whelan, uh, the Irish Pirlo. That, that's all I can say after after that performance against Borough. He it, it seemed like he, he had some kind of football magnetism. It was it was almost crazy to see. You know, Borough's trying to clear their lines and. You know, it might be a little, you know, a little bit of huffing it, trying to just get it out. You know, get take a breather. And Glenn Whelan's there. It was like he just kept popping up. He kept growing out of the ground, any anywhere that the ball was going. It's absolutely insane. Like he, he was, he he has the ability to do that. And I think a lot of Villa fans would get on his back. It might be a little, you know, about his age. You know, maybe a little bit. He's not the paciest guy you're going to find in a midfield in the championship. But on his on his day, he showed it against Burrow. He can be absolutely spades. I I I think he was he just had a remarkable performance. And you know, he's probably not getting into this team with Connor Horahan not having a child. Congrats to Connor, by the way. But you know that that's a good option to have off the bench. It's a good option to have against these teams that want to play like Burrow played, where they want to basically set up shop defensively and wait for you to make a mistake. I agree, and uh, I guess with that too, it kind of—I mean, I should be annoyed at myself because I probably tweeted it out before. Um, but I generally get annoyed now and even before when people kind of got mad at Glenn Whelan, saying he's not worth it, he's trash, and all that kind of stuff. Because we brought him in for virtually nothing, and for the player he is, he's served his purpose, he's done excellent in that regard, he's not going to be a world beat or anything like that, he's going to do all the little things that even if you're at Villa Park or you're watching TV, you're not going to be paying attention to him, You just he's not a player that you really notice, he just does the, the simple things right, and you know what, It's that's another kind of player we've needed for years. And even if this is his last year, he served us well, and I wish him the best. Something, something I'd like to ask is, I've seen a lot of it on social media, um, and I personally don't agree with it, but would you give him a year extension? Oh, that's a tough one. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you look at some of the youth prospects we got coming up. Isn't it time for Jake Doyle Hayes? Does anyone else want to finally see some of these, some of these uh, kids, for lack of a better term, coming up and playing for the Villa? I wouldn't want. I love Glenn Whelan. You know, I've I ran and raved about him. I'm I'm just like Cole, where you know I get a little bit upset and annoyed when people you know slate him off or you know they they want him to be something he's not. I I would like to see, you know, Villa youth if if not, you know that that coming through the door for up in the prem and you know they don't think that a player like Jake Doyle Hayes is ready. I'd like you know go out and maybe buy a younger. Uh, center mid to replace Whelan, maybe do some of the same things he does with a little bit more pace to him. 
But, I, yeah, I, I don't know if another year is, is going to work. And, honestly, I see him going to, like, the MLS. I, I do. I see him going to the MLS somewhere, and he'll, he'll prosper. He'll prosper there. I, th- I think he still has the hunger to play. I just don't think it's going to be for Villa next season. I think it's one of those things where, it, well, you guys said it earlier, asked me at the end of the season, because if you look at it, if we're staying down, um, I believe yet next contract's up as well. Um, and depending on youth academy and who we can bring in, you know what? He might be a great option to play a limited number of games and we can utilize him as a utility player in that uh, position, which could be helpful. If we're being promoted, I can't see it. I don't think he has the legs for the Premier League anymore. So one way, yes. One way, no. I guess we'll just have to see and find out. I think another thing about Glenn Whelan, too, is um, whenever his time is finished, whenever he decides to hang the boots up, I wouldn't say no to him coming back to Aston Villa in a coaching capacity. Uh, you hear all these younger players say that he bosses you know, the workouts and he, he bosses any kind of drills they're going through and he, he, he sets the standard, he sets the pace in training. If that's the case, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hesitate to have him on as a coach if that's something he's interested in doing. Um, from there, I think we should probably move on to the ladies who sadly were knocked out of the uh, SSE Women's FA Cup on the weekend to uh, a full-time side in West Ham United women. Um, you know, they started the day off on a... Well, they started the weekend off on Saturday with the announcement of Jodie Hutton uh, signing her first professional contract. Um, I'm not entirely sure if she's the only professional player at the ladies at the moment, but judging from what uh, Christian Perslow said, I believe she might be. Uh, I think that does mean that she's she's being paid a wage. I don't know if that's enough for her to, uh, you know, do do Villa ladies full time. But you know, it is a step in the right direction. Um, she's she's their brightest talent at the club. She's young. She's she's eighteen, and she's almost the Jack Grealish of the ladies side. So, you know, she's been with Aston Villa since the age of nine. We had the opportunity to interview her, and you know, she said she she said in the interview she wants to become professional, and you know, if that could happen with Villa, that would be a dream come true. And lo and behold, two weeks later, she's a professional Aston Villa ladies player. Yeah, it's it's a great signing for the Villa ladies. J- Jodie Hutton, she's a pretty remarkable talent. I I don't think she gets you know as much as as the plaudits and headlines that some of the other ladies do. Um, but she, she's just a workhorse out there, man. She's, she's constantly running. She's constantly looking for ball balls in. she's, you know, turns around, she has her head up, you know, she doesn't mind with her playing with her back to, you know, opposing center backs and things like that. You know, there's a five minute video on the Aston Villa official, uh, YouTube and it's uh, Christian Perslow talking about how they want to get to the point with Aston Villa, that the women's game and the men's game is, is supported just as equally. And, you know, there, there's money and funds being, you know, available for both sets of teams but uh yeah Hutton's just, she's just such a, a bright young talent and there, there's nothing bad coming out of this signing I'm absolutely elated for her. She, she's she's a really really good player well when we uh probably lose the Scottish Cafu this summer now we have another Cafu um <laughs> so but as a female of course <laughs> no it, it's it's great to see the game grow in that sense especially on the women's side um it, it, it's brilliant I couldn't be happier in that fact because it's showing progression and for someone as dynamic and as forward thinking and as bright as her future is I think it offers something that you know what it can only be a, a blessing for the club and something that's a shining light going forward 
Yep, and we've we've got a fairly young side uh, with the Aston Villa ladies. I think uh, I think they're both an average age of something around like twenty one, twenty two. Um, you know, so she's she's not going to be the first player, maybe not even the first player this season by any means, that's going to be offered a professional contract if if you know the club goes the way that Perslow wants it to. But in in this game against West Ham, they were playing against a a shed ton of fully fledged internationals. You know, uh, Aston Villa ladies have a couple of youth internationals in their ranks, including Jodie Hutton and goalkeeper Sean Rogers. And uh, Sean Rogers was really unlucky to concede the goal that she did. Um, I think it was West Ham's. I think it's Leon uh, took a shot, and it was it was going to the high the high left, and Rogers really dived well to get a hand to that. Um, it just maybe the hand wasn't strong enough. I'm not sure, but it, it bounced out to Ross, who slotted it home. Um, and it was it was really against the run of play. Villa had been you know holding their own and even dominating uh, for the first I think it was maybe twenty minutes. Um, it, it was so against the run of play and it kind of it kind of soured the game a little bit for the ladies. Um, and I felt I felt quite sorry for Sean Rogers because it was such a good save. I remember exclaiming like Jesus, like she's done so well to get a hand to that. Yeah, Rogers made an absolutely incredible save. And to anybody listening, if you have about an hour and 45 minutes to burn, the entire match is replayed, is an upload on uh, Aston Village YouTube. Just go watch. See what these girls are doing. See see what's what's going on. You know, the women's side is, is actually really talented. I don't think people you know realize that the, the women's team is, is very, very, very talented. Um, it's a little bit easier for me to say that. I watch a, actually a pretty decent amount of, of uh women's football over here in the States. Uh, one of our internationals for the United States, Megan Klingberg, she's from Pittsburgh, actually sat in 110 degree Fahrenheit weather and watched the uh, United States women team take on Peru a couple years ago. And I think it was 40,000, 42,000 people showed up in, in the, the hottest day on summer to watch it. Uh, it but the, the Rogers save, it's just, it, it was it, it was unfair for that ball to fall the way it did to the West Ham player for the, her to put it back in the net. And, you know, she, she's probably going to think about that for a while, but yeah, just, she just needs to keep her head up. Just keep pushing. It's an unfortunate goal to give up, especially like you said, Villa, Villa were, you know, pretty much bossing the game at that point, you know, just, you know, minor mistakes. They just real minor mistakes, but they know that they don't need told that, but yeah, for Rogers, she's, she's a great keeper. I think she's going to have a long future. I'd actually look out for her to be the next uh, Aston Villa uh, ladies player that gets offered a professional contract. I agree, and it's just one of those games where you watch it or you see even the highlights, depending on what, how much you have time for, really. Um, the, the bounces just didn't fall the Villa ladies' way, and in cases like that, if it's not your day, it's just not your day, and you know what? A 1-0 loss, you, you can't really... Uh, put your head down too low. Uh, you got to pick yourself up and keep going. But no, there's some bright stars in that side, and I really can't wait to see what happens for the rest of the season for them. And so some of those bright stars uh, had had their own quality chances in the game. Sophie Sophie Haywood and Nadine Hansen uh, both had, <clears throat> excuse me, the opportunity to you know equal the equal the playing field, and um, maybe even you know get that Villa win. Uh, Haywood had a couple of chances where she was through on goal, but just lacked that finishing touch. Couldn't get a shot off in time, or she was trying, you know, to round the defender. Um, and Nadine Hansen, uh, you know, I know she's beating herself up about this, but she she did everything but score in one opportunity. She rounded about two or three defenders, 
you know, she was. Uh, I can't remember the name of the player, but um, the West Ham defender. She's a South Korean international, and literally, she left her for dead. Um, was through on goal, and her shot just didn't have enough power on it. Um, you know, it's it's a shame that things just it just didn't seem to really go their way, and I think that's uh, that's quite relevant because that seems to happen to the male side quite a bit as well. Yeah, it happens. It, it's when it's it's that old saying. It's just one of those, and I think that's what happened. You know, with the Villa ladies against West Ham. Um, you know, you talked about Sophie Haywood. She's a, a remarkable player as well. Uh, she actually went to school at Texas A and M Commerce. Uh, I think uh, 14 goals, 10 assists in two seasons, you know, playing for her university. So she definitely has the ability to score some goals and set up some as well. Uh, yeah, you're talking about uh, Nadine Hansen. She's, <laughs> I, I, I think she's kind of like a, a little bit of a bag of tricks. Um, it's fun to, fun to kind of see her, her do her thing a little bit. But uh, yeah, Haywood and Hansen, they're, they're remarkable players. They really are. And I mean, Hansen's got some real pedigree as well. You know, she played for, I believe, Anderlecht, uh, PSV. And I think maybe even Genk, um, you know, she's played for some big European teams, female sides, um, you know, so she's she's come with some real pedigree. And I'd, I'd actually be surprised if if she isn't earning a wage at Villa because otherwise I don't really understand, you know, what's keeping her around. Um, there's There's been a lot of players come through the ranks of the Villa ladies in recent seasons that have, have not been offered professional contracts, but they've been more than talented enough to play professional women's football. Um, I think Beth Merrick might be one, um, if I am correct. But you know, the, we've we've got a good core of a team, and an even better coach in Gemma Davies. Um, speaking about the core of the team, we've we've got Jade Richards and Alicia and who are both quite tall, towering defenders, and they looked absolutely quality throughout the game. I mean, if I had the option to, I'd have probably played Jade Richards over Mika Richards in, in the past <laughs> couple of seasons if I'd have given, been given the chance. Yeah, I think you're going to get a resounding uh, agreement on that one, buddy. Oh, 100%. Michael Richards, let's not talk about him, because I could say some stuff. <laughs> uh, you brought you brought up uh, uh, the uh, Gemma Davies, you know, the head coach for the ladies team. Um, there's, there's that video going out there after the match, and she's, you know, talking to the interviewer about, you know, everything that went down with the defeat, the West Ham and the FA Cup, and... Uh, Oh, she's just so emotional. It like it actually gave me goosebumps when I watched it because you could just tell how badly she wanted it and how bad she knows that her players probably would have performed on the day. Yeah, I think you know she she's she's young herself. I believe she's twenty six, and I know that she um, is the I think the head of football or the head of sports at a, a local university. I think anyway, um, but you know she's she's still got a lot to learn, lot to learn in the game as well, and you know, but by no means am I um, am I a qualified coach. But you know, there's certain decisions that managers make that obviously fans can question, and um, I think maybe Davies left her substitutions a little bit late in the game. Uh, you know, the girls were holding their own for much of the second half. Um, in the first half, they they performed outstandingly and forced West Ham into making two changes at half time. But I think the second half that they were they were holding their own for quite a bit of it, or trying too hard to push for that equaliser, and looked exhausted. So I think maybe the the changes could have come a bit sooner and maybe freshen freshen the legs and change the game a little bit. Yeah, I think they probably could have made those uh, those subs a little um a little earlier in the game. I, I don't know. It's just it, it was kind of. No, it's one game, and they still got the league to look forward to. I, I think that the majority of anybody who even slightly pays attention to the Villa ladies, they just wanted to see him put it through and you know make it right, get some get some attention on this young and, and fruitful team. 
I agree. Where do you guys think uh, this team's going to end up by the end of the season for um, these ladies? I think they're currently in seventh, um, unless any games have been played since I last checked. But I think I think they'll stay around where they are. Maybe maybe uh, you know rise up the table a little bit. But I think you know that as as Perslow said in his interview, they they're punching well above their weight at the moment because. They, they haven't been funded and they haven't received the kind of training and attention that they require and I think I think you know if they if they can finish this season on a high after a disappointment in the FA Cup that they're, they're really going to press on next season yeah I agree I can I can see them shooting up to as, as you know fourth or fifth and that's probably you know reaching a little bit but I, I think they have what it takes and you know hopefully you know coach Davies has everything you know in, in her bag of tricks to be able to tell these ladies say it's one game just get your heads on let's go you know we, we still have something to, to prove to the supporters and, and ourselves so you know just spur on and see, see how how high up you can get on the table well moving away from the ladies game uh jed steer reportedly signed a new contract in january upon returning from his loan at charlton athletic um it was I can't really understand the decision there. You know, it, it makes sense now after he's he's performed pretty well uh, in his last four or five games. But, you know, offering him a new contract in January seems like a bit of a, a way to tempt him to actually come back. Um, either that or Villa want to actually make some money out of him. Uh, rather yeah, than I, I hold the opinion. I think that that's exactly what we're seeing. Um Spent way too much money on Nealon and Kalinic. I I don't see Jed Steer breaking into the you know the Villa, you know having the number one shirt. I I just don't see it. Um, maybe they do want to make a buck on him, and you know that would that would be okay. I guess. I just think when you spend so much money, you know, to bring in two other keepers, and you know, yeah, they got hurt, and he's doing well, but he's not really facing a lot of shots either. Um, right now, especially in this four game winning run, I mean, his defense is so organized in front of him. He, he Looks a little bored out there at times. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is a strange one for me. I I, I wouldn't offer him a contract just yet, but well, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. They, they, I think it's just a case of Villa maybe trying to make a little bit of a scratch on him, and that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, I think it's a just protecting your investment. Obviously, he's been at the club since what I believe like twenty thirteen, if I'm right. So you know what, you've invested this much in him from that point on, so even if it's a, a quick turnaround and he's leaving in the summer, it's some money coming into the club, and you know what, I think we have a quite a few uh, players leaving on, obviously, loans, but there's obviously the free transfers as well, so I don't think it's a bad decision, and it's kind of hard to say what the future hold for, holds for him, really, because um, if you look at Kalinic, he's staying out of the team, but at the same time, uh, Steer's not really facing many shots. So uh, does it come to the playoffs and then we switch back, but then what does that do to the rest of the team? It's kind of a interesting uh, situation Villa have themselves in, and Dean Smith definitely has uh, some thinking to do going forward. Yeah, I mean, Nyland or Nyland and Kalinic, have, uh, you know, they're, they're both fully-fledged internationals. And it's a shame that uh, Nealand in, got injured when he did because I feel like he was kind of get, coming into his own a little bit. Um, but they're both on fairly long-term contracts. Uh, Nealand has another two years left after the end of this season. 
I'm not sure exactly what Kalinic is on. I think it might be a four or five year contract. Um, and, you know, people can argue and say Nealand is a Bruf signing, but Kalinic isn't. Kalinic was signed by Dean Smith. And I don't think Jed Steer would be in the... Obviously, he wouldn't be in this position if uh, Nealand hadn't got his injury. So I, I think it is very much the case that, that Steer may be leaving in the summer and we're just trying to get a return on investment because otherwise you've got two pretty expensive keepers sitting on the bench or sitting in the stands. and then Yeah, you have youngster Matias Sarkic just, and just hanging out and waiting for his chance too. I, I just, this, this whole deal with, uh, with Jed Steer getting a new contract, I think they probably were like, hey, you know, you know, while he was on loan, you know, in January, you know, Villa representatives or whoever called him and said, you know, Dean Smith maybe even, you know, called him and said, hey, we're in trouble here, you know, I'd like you to come back. And there might have been a conversation there about, you know, well, why would I come back to play for a club where, you know, I'm going to be gone in six months, you know, that's not a favorable situation for me. So maybe they had to give him a contract to, to get him back. Maybe it was like on improved terms. Um, I don't know. It, it just seems like they're trying to make a little bit of a profit on him. Yeah, you know what, though, too, this could also be Dean Smith assessing his options going forward. Maybe, for all we know, this could have been a keeper that he wanted to maybe not bring to Brentford to be the starting role, but maybe as a backup as well. We don't really know the situation, obviously, too much, but um, I, it's protecting investment, whatever you want to call it. It's assessing what Dean Smith has going forward. And uh, you know what? If it works out, fantastic. If not, we make some money and cash in on them. Totally agree. Anything better than Guzan? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, so we've had a couple of questions on Twitter. Um, Alex said, is the playoffs really possible now? Um, and can we win it? This uh, I don't even want to answer it. I don't even want to talk out loud about it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think the playoffs are possible. Uh, I think it's going to break this the, the supporters in two if it doesn't happen. I think that's how what the last four games have, have done. I, th- I think there's a real tangible feeling that that Villa can make the playoffs. Uh, God, I, I don't know. I, I, I think they will. I, I personally do. I personally think they, they will definitely make it into the playoffs. And after that, that's a roll of the dice because you just never know what's going to happen in that situation. Yeah, I don't know if it'll break the, the fan base in half because if you would have asked us – what, six, seven weeks ago, if we would be in this situation, everyone's probably saying no. So I think if we do, it's a bonus given how this last summer went and how the season was going up until really Grealish came back. But uh, you know what? I think at this point, a playoff spot is essentially ours to lose. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But it's been an interesting roller coaster, and hopefully it works out positively for us. Yeah. It's it's never not interesting to be a bit. Yeah, I was speaking more to the dynamic of we were just what was it one game we won in eleven or thirteen or whatever it was, and then Jack comes back, and then McGinn's all of a sudden in crazy form, and you know the goalkeeping situation isn't a problem like it has been. I think that it just the whole situation of the four game run going into an international break, and then we'll see what the rest of the games hold. But I. I, I just think that it's so promising right now that a letdown would just, I, I think there'd be a, a lot of very unhappy people in, in the event that, that that was what happened. We've got another question from our good friend, James. Um, it's simple, three words, Grealish for England. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I think, I think this will be an interesting one to kind of talk about because we've got the view of a, an Englishman, an American, and a Canadian. So, you know, 
I, I'm going to be more invested in the English national team than you two will. But personally, I think that there's there's a big argument for yes, but there's also a big argument for no. Um, in terms of yes, I don't think there's another player in any team in the Premier League or the Championship that um, can, can bring to a team what Jack Grealish can. Um, the way he carries the ball, the way that he, he draws a foul in dangerous positions, you know, like no one can do that. Um, you know, the, there is an abundance of, I guess, attacking minded midfielders in the England squad. You know, you've got the likes of Ali and Lingard, both of whom have uh, recently come back from injury. And Deli Ali's actually made the squad. Um, so anyone that you, that's using the excuse of Grealish recently coming back, is it's not really a, a great argument. But um, you know, he's he's worked under Southgate at the under twenty one level, I believe. Um, so Southgate's fully aware of him, and he's not adverse to to pulling out a player from the championship, as we saw with Mason Mount. But the thing is with Mason Mount is that he's played under Southgate a lot more recently, and he he knows that Mount is one for the future. Um, so he, you know, if it's a friendly, he's gonna pull him out, uh, pull him out from the championship and give him that opportunity, give him the experience because you know he's worked with the likes of Hudson Odoi and Mount um, for a bit longer than he has with Grealish. You know, Grealish is twenty three. In a couple of years, he'll be he'll be at the prime of his career, um, which is obviously, you know, close to the argument where you know does he move on for the good of his career and the good of his international career. I think with Grealish to England, just the, the does he get the call up, does he not? I think he has the best chance of that happening with Southgate having that managerial post. I don't think that a lot of other managers are gonna walk in and, and pluck, you know, a Mason Mount or a Jack Grealish out of the, the championship. I think he should be in England squad. I can understand the reasons that he isn't, but I, I think that it's there's definitely a call for it, especially uh uh, who's the player that, that uh, Trent Alexander Arnold uh, pulls out for the uh, for this international break for the England squad? And you have people that aren't even Aston Villa fans on Twitter saying, "Oh, I bet Jack Grealish can play wing back." <laughs> <laughs> it's just one. Of, it's just one of those things where it's like, "Wow, okay, so Jack's now on that level." When you have somebody who's an Everton fan that probably hasn't watched Jack play football in, in a decent amount of time, saying, "Oh, yeah, can he play wing back? Go get Jackie Grealish out of Aston Villa." <laughs> I think the obvious replacement for Trent Alexander-Arnold is uh, Juan Bissaka from Crystal Palace, though. Um, and, you know, it's a shock that he hasn't been included in the England squad because he I'm pretty sure he's one of, or if not the the best defender statistics-wise in the whole of Europe this season. So if he's not getting into the squad, then at the same time, why should Jack Grealish? He's been out for 13 games. Oh, exactly. And to really get on the Grealish thing... The nice, good part of me says, yeah, go for it. Live your dreams. See what happens. And I would love to see him in an England shirt and cheer him on. But the uh, greedy part of me, really, if I'm looking at it, oh, geez, I don't want him to because then he's going to feature on the national stage and more people are going to come in for him. So it's it's kind of a, a, a big debate. And it, it's kind of hard to say if he really deserves it because obviously he was out for a while with injury and coming back it's a small sample size but he's done fantastically well um it'd be an interesting prospect and uh, i'm just gonna say no i'm gonna be greedy so i'll i'm, I'm fine with that decision yeah it was, it was 
it was a little uh, awkward. I was watching a, a Villa game. It was one of the past four at my local pub. And I'm standing there, and there was a guy a couple of seats down uh, in a Bayern Munich jersey, and he's watching the Villa game as it's on. And uh, he, he looks over at me and goes, man, that Jack Grealish would look really good in a uh, in a Bayern jersey. And I, I, I'd not even known this guy. I just looked at him and said, shut your mouth, please. And went right back to watch it, and he got the biggest <laughs> laugh out of it. But it was one of those things where you're right. He gets called up to England, and all of a sudden it's not just on a – Birmingham championship, you know, second tier of English football stage. It's it's on an international stage. He he will have teams coming in from other countries. I don't think that's on Jack's agenda. I don't think he wants wants to get outside of England. But, I mean, you never know. Money talks, especially, you know, Aston Villa. And I think that's probably where we end it. You know, Jack, does he make it to England? I'm sure we'll find out in the next couple of seasons. But thank you for listening, guys. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please make sure you subscribe. I've been Regan and I've been joined by Mark and Cole. Thank you for listening.